There's never been a more important time to ensure your immune system is operating at its peak. This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman with a new natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals created exclusively to help promote a better immune response. Elderberry with Zinc and Echinacea. Future Farm's Elderberry with Zinc and Echinacea is the first to combine these three powerful ingredients together. Elderberry is packed with antioxidants, vitamins, and may boost your immune system. Echinacea has been shown to activate chemicals in the body that decrease inflammation, and zinc activates T lymphocytes. Low zinc has been associated with increased susceptibility. For more information and order, call 888-841-7216. That's 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Elderberry with zinc and echinacea is all natural, science-based, and works without adverse side effects. myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's that time of week where I convene with Layla. Layla Mutin is our nutritionist in residence. And it's something that is one of the highlights of my week because I get to uh, I get to answer your questions. Your questions come to us via radio program at AOL.com. That's radio program at AOL.com. And so uh, this week, we've got a lot of questions. But before we get to questions, interesting story uh, out of a newspaper in the UK. Hmm. Headline, cancer patients saw tumors disappear after he caught coronavirus. Hey, maybe we've got the cure for cancer in this pandemic. (laughs) It's the silver (laughs) lining in the cloud. And, you know, not surprisingly, it was a lymphoma. And a lymphoma is actually very, very much related to the immune system. Yeah. So treatments for lymphoma often don't involve chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. They involve monoclonal antibodies, which are immune modulators, like rituxan and things like that. Uh, here's a story. 61-year-old man who has not been named in the study had a checkup for his Hodgkin lymphoma last summer, but just a few days later, he was rushed to the hospital with coronavirus. He recovered, and the follow-up for his cancer scan found the tumors, which had littered his torso just a few weeks before, had almost gone. Uh, Amazing. So one of his doctors says, quote, we think COVID-19 triggered an anti-tumor immune response. And so Let's this bottle it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so so this actually uh harkens back to something called Coley's toxin. Coley's toxin. Is that with the C or a K? Uh Coley's with a C O L E Y. C O L E Y. And it's a very old fashioned type of shall we say innovative or alternative or desperation cancer treatment, Hmm. which was to inject people with, I think, killed bacteria. Um, He he used a heat-killed streptococcal organism. Uh, Uh And he he did this in, in 1891. William B. Coley injected streptococcal organisms into a patient with inoperable cancer. 
He thought that the infection uh, he produced would have the side effect of shrinking the malignant tumor, and he was successful. And this was one of the first examples of immunotherapy. Wow. Now, they, they obviously want a little cleaner targeted immunotherapy mm -hmm. that doesn't make patients really sick. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, he uh, uh, ejected more than a thousand cancer patients with bacteria or bacterial products at uh, Memorial Hospital in New York, which was the the predecessor to Memorial Sloan Kettering. Oh, really? Uh, huh. You know, the Sloan and the Kettering, <laughs> I guess, gave money to them and they got their names on it. I see. <laughs> you know, so, All right. Uh, so it's, Have money, we'll name. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, he, so this actually was sort of a popular alternative therapy uh, that kind of fell into disrepute. But interestingly, you know, it illustrates the principle that... Uh, Immunotherapy, something that, that boosts your immune yeah. response, yeah. anything that boosts your immune response might have a knock-on effect against cancer. Interesting. In other words, it wasn't a target against the cancer. Yeah. Now we have all these drugs like Opdivo and, and Yervoy and things like that that are designed to enhance the immune response. The problem is mm. they cause pretty devastating side effects. Ah. They, they can cause uh, you know, ulcerative colitis. They can cause autoimmune diseases. So, they're, I see. so they're, patients sometimes go through hell when they obtain those therapies. Those mm. are kind of desperation therapies for cancers that are resistant to first-line treatments, you know, surgery. You think that's why Coley's fell into disrepute? That he was having those kind of results? Or is it yeah, because it's, it's kind of hit or miss. It's like hitting a Swiss watch with a hammer, and sometimes it'll make it run. Ah. But um, I should have done that with my watch. Recently, it stopped working. Oh, okay. Try that. <laughs> it might work. <laughs> Probably less well than Coley's toxins. <laughs> uh, so anyway, his they say his work gradually fell out of favor. Hmm. Uh, but for a while, the Park Davis Company had been producing Coley's toxin. Huh? By 1952, they stopped. 1962, the Food and Drug Administration refused to acknowledge Coley's toxins as a proven drug. And in 1962, it became illegal to use Coley's toxins for the treatment of cancer. So it was thought to be like a quack therapy. Oh, my. But uh, some alternative practitioners, although it's not too popular, you know, maybe some of these offshore clinics in Mexico yes. still use uh, something akin to Coley's toxin. Mm. Um, you know, one form of immunotherapy that's still used and is mainstream for cancer is, is BCG. What's that? Bacillus calmet-guerin, which is actually used as a vaccine against tuberculosis. Oh, my. And it, the, the, it's killed BCG bacteria that are instilled into the bladder. Just uh -huh. run it with a, you know, with a, with a, you know, IV line into the, you know, directly, you know, into through the, the urethra into the bladder to treat superficial bladder cancer. And it seems to work. Wow. It's a form of immunotherapy. Amazing. Yeah. So. <laughs> the treatment story. for TB. Yeah. Which is a type of mold, fungi, something. But, yep. All right. So, uh, mm -hmm. anyway, mm -hmm. that seems to, uh, you know, that could be, you know. That's amazing. Get, get COVID, hit the jackpot. Get COVID, hey. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, not that there aren't a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, serious adverse effects of having uh, COVID. Sure, sure. But if you had to choose, hmm. Pick, you're right. yeah. Pick your poison. Pick your, exactly. So we've got questions. We've got one from Peter, a native of Eastern Long Island. I grew up at the beach. Sand, surf, sunshine, my buddies. 
But now Sunshine and I have had a falling out. Reoccurring basal cell and big mel. Keep me inside. Melanoma. Yes, from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. in the summer. I do think sunlight's important. I like to get at least a few minutes every day with as little, you know, as I dare. My question is, is it better for me to go out for a little bit at noon or should I go out early in the morning or later afternoon? Will I only make vitamin D at noontime? Yes, that's when the UVB rays are like between 11 a.m. and about mm-hmm. 1, maybe mm-hmm. 2 mm-hmm. p.m. That's when the UVB rays are available. And in the Northeast, Peter, that's between April and October. Uh, is it okay for me to get a little color? I try to get some tan because I'm afraid if I don't. Eventually during the summer, I'll be caught outside. And if I'm not used to the sun, I may blister and burn like a bad paint job. Is this the right thinking? How much time is enough time? I love the sun and wish we weren't arguing. You know, that, that's a good question. And, uh, you tan know, is it, said to be protection. It, it's, uh, you know, avoiding the sun completely and wearing those 50 SPF uh, garments and things like that. You know, there's this... These people, and sunblocks. Some of these, I, I actually sometimes see people walking... Uh, you know, doing their morning constitutional while I, you know, go running or doing my bike ride. And they're yeah. wearing like these sun hats and these sun, sun protected clothing. And they're and completely parasol. covered. Uh-huh. And th- those are usually, uh, people who have had skin cancer. Yes. So now they, be- it's shutting the barn door after the horse gets out. Yes. Classic example of that. And so the, the damage that caused their skin cancer was incurred many decades before. Yeah. Uh, it is unlikely that unless you get a burn with sustained exposure that you're going to make things worse. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I agree with this guy's approach. Uh, you will be able to make some vitamin D. Yes. Skin. But there's some people who can't be in the sun. They have too light skin. So they yeah. can take oral vitamin D. But right. here's, here's an interesting story. Hmm. Sunlight linked with lower COVID deaths. Mm, vitamin D is important. No. Ah. According to the study, well, it is, yes. it is, but they say in this study uh, that uh, research from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, where it's not very sunny, yes, compared all recorded deaths from COVID-19 in the United States from January, April 2020 with UV levels for 2,474 U.S. counties for the same period. The study found that people living in areas with the highest level exposure to UVA rays, which make up 95% of the sun's UV light, had a lower risk of dying from COVID-19 compared with those with lower levels. They took into account such factors as, you know, increased exposure to the virus, risk of death uh, associated with age, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and population density, air pollution, temperature, and levels of infection in local areas. The observed reduction in risk of death from COVID-19 could not be explained entirely by higher levels of vitamin D. Okay. Only areas with insufficient levels of UVB to produce significant vitamin D in the body were included in the study. Well, it's UVB that makes vitamin D, actually. Yes. Um, so there is uh, another effect. Th- they the don't sun. know why. They don't know why that is. Yeah. But uh, you know, they say you know sunlight is the best disinfectant. Yes, it's the best disinfectant number one, but it also lowers cortisol. Oh, there. Nice. A day at the beach, a day outside nice. at a picnic, you've yeah. got that decompressed feeling. Right. At the end of the day, it lowers cortisol. Right. However, uh, the outlier situation is why in California, mm-hmm. Arizona, and Florida, there were a lot of COVID deaths. And part of the reason is that people in those... Retiree places, states? Re- yeah, and they're retirees, they're older, but also the very self-same people 
who live in those sunny places, maybe they don't get outside that much. It's very hot. Yeah, they they're shelter inside in with place. the with the uh, yeah, and they they the they're actually have they're they have remarkable incidence of vitamin D deficiency in places like Arizona. Yes. Like my mother. My mother lived in Southern California. It was beautiful. It's like, Mom, let's go outside. She says, I don't feel like it. Yeah. You know, it, it's, 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 she, when I checked her, she had a vitamin D of, wait for it, seven. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Seven. So, uh, oh. and she had an autoimmune disease. She had rheumatoid arthritis, yeah. which limited her going outside. So, she was a beautiful, you know, with potential for sun exposure, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, sheltered in place. Yeah. Anyway. And a lot of that demographic is told to not be out in the sun that much. They will tend to have more basal cell, avoid the sun, avoid the sun, wearing all of that kind. And not to mention sunblock. Yeah. Now we have to call into question the sunblock. Hmm? What role is that playing? Some people, you know, sunblock has some benefits. I'm not talking about blocking vitamin D. I'm talking about the ingredients. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Yeah. And also there's some, uh, puts you a little bit of a fool's paradise because if you don't, you may not burn, but some of these uh, sunblocks are permissive of certain wavelengths of light. Right. They're allowing the aging rays. Yeah. More of the UVAs. So you can, you can bake and you say, oh, fine, you know, I'm wearing SPF 50, but you still, A, you may not get the benefits, B, you also may get the downside and then you get, you know, absorb all these chemicals. For me, the best sunblocks are uh, uh, the zinc oxide, which yes. is that thing but, with the lifeguards used to wear on their yes, noses. Yes, but Peter said, I can't wear that over my whole body. <laughs> That's a lot of zinc shine, you know. Right. It's going to look kind of well, yeah, paper they, mache. They talk about, you know, <laughs> black face. This would be white face. This would be white face. <laughs> it's, it's like... Right, right. Well, here's the other thing. The... Uh, First of all, what we do know about melanoma, it's not all melanomas are related to sunshine exposure. Right. A lot of it is lifestyle, diet, okay, so how the wrong people fats. Have melanoma of the rectum. Exactly. Where the sun and on don't, the sole of their foot. Where the sun don't shine. Yes. Thing, places like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or in their colon even. Yeah. Melanomas have been found there. Yeah. So it's fascinating. Yeah. So it has less to do with sunlight. The basal cells they're not serious, thankfully, but, you know, yeah. I don't know. Well, they, they, they can gnaw at you and require repeated surgery and, and you get really uh, yeah. very disfigured. Uh, and they, they, they can spread. You know, squamous especially can spread yeah. and can be life-threatening rarely. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. usually uh, you take a trip to the dermatologist and get so it So Peter wants to know how much time is enough time in the sun. Mm-hmm. Okay, well... Uh, there's no precise equation because yeah. it has to do with your skin color. Yes. And, you know, there's, there's sort of a, you know, it has to do with the season, the, uh, you know, the, the conditions on that day, uh, mm-hmm. the time of day. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's no set amount. But, you know, the idea is that you want to avoid, uh, you know, you want to you get want to just a burning. little, get a, a little, little pink. pink. Yeah. Get a little pink. Pink. But, that way you know, you know your body's making but, some you know, vitamin D. They actually D. criticize dermatologists because when we use terminology, they're like, wait till you get a little pink. There's some people who don't get pink because they have dark skin color. True. <laughs> you know, so they, they, they just get darker. They say, yeah. that, you know, yeah. the, the pictures in a lot of dermatology texts are very racist because they actually pertain to, you know, uh, light skinned individuals. Yes. And, they, and, you know, frankly, as a, uh, you know, African American or a dark skinned Hispanic, you can get, uh, skin cancer. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so sure it, you it's, can. it's not without, uh, potential hazards, although right. to a lesser extent, they're more protective. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it depends, yes, and melanin to a degree. I mean, it's formed to help protect against sun. Isn't that how darker skin colors were naturally selected for yeah. in very close to the equator right. climates? Right. I mean, that's what happened. And the further north we got, the lighter... Lost it. Because we lost it. Lost it, but also Didn't so lost much. it for a reason to mm -hmm. permit absorption of the rays that trigger synthesis of vitamin D. Yes, because, what little we got up north. Yeah, right. be, because in uh, the, uh, you know, in, in Scandinavia, uh, you know, in the year uh, 800, mm -hmm. the Vikings did not have 50,000 international unit vitamin D pills no. to uh, treat themselves. No. <laughs> so... Right, right. But and you know, colder I, actually, climates, I, right? interesting. You know, my grandfather mm -hmm. uh, was who lived to be 101, by the way. Wow. Uh, probably never get his vitamin D checked in his life, but mm -hmm. um, he uh, was about five foot two on a good day, mm -hmm. and he he was bow legged. Oh. And I suspect that he had rickets as a child. Mm -hmm. Because the source, you know, milk was not vitamin D fortified. Yes. And he, right. you know. This was before food fortification. And, and he lived in, in urban areas in northern Europe. Mm. And. Colder know, climate. Right. Covered and, up. Yeah. Yeah. And as a child, uh, probably didn't get the best nutrition. Sure. And, uh, you know, one measure that was popular, even in those days, was cod liver oil. Mm. Cod liver oil was an elixir. They didn't know why, but it was like good for you. It has My vitamin A and vitamin too, D. Yeah. And I don't know if his parents could afford the cod liver oil. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yes. It yeah. was very uh, impoverished environment in, in uh, when he grew up in, in Poland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So, Peter, best of luck to you. Stay well. Stay well. Oh, this is interesting. This comes from Hope. My brother-in-law is in his 70s and lives in Argentina. Last week, he collapsed and was diagnosed with COVID. I happened to watch the 60 Minutes uh, episode and learned about fluvoxamine, which seems to be quite benign and helpful in limiting lung damage caused by COVID. My brother's my brother-in-law's daughter is an OBGYN, so I emailed some articles to her, including one from JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association. Right. I thought that it would be worth a try to give him a drug that has been in use for decades, even if it is for OCD, since its listed side effects are basically nausea, and it seems to be helpful in limiting lung damage caused by COVID. Her response was, Dr. Hoffman, get this, is that in Argentina, they don't try unapproved drugs, even for an illness that could be fatal. Even something as benign as vitamin C is believed to be safe only in the recommended daily dose, 40 milligrams, which you and I know is only enough to prevent a deficiency disease like scurvy. After a day or two, they intubated my brother-in-law and he had a heart attack. Ah. Uh. I look that up and there is an association between intubation and heart failure. Sure. Now he's in intensive stressful. care. Very stressful. But that isn't enough to allow the doctors to try something unproven. I am desperate. I would love to hear your opinion. Well. Oh my gosh. The, an the answer is, uh, especially since it's a relatively inexpensive drug. Yeah. Uh, it certainly would be worth a try. Uh, this is an article from uh, November 12th, 2020. And there have been subsequent articles. Mm -hmm. uh, the they did uh, a study uh, which showed that um, the uh, fluvoxamine group had one serious adverse event, whereas the placebo group had six serious adverse events. 
Huh. And uh, wow, so that's very telling. Yeah, so uh, they don't know exactly why it works. Yeah, there's something to do with the serotonin pathway, and uh, you know it could be a useful. You know, it, it, this is uh, what are called repurposed drugs. You know, along the lines of hydroxychloroquine, which has, you know, had some benefits, I, I still maintain, but, you know, some yes. studies came up short on it, and probably it has to be used early on in an infection to be effective. Right, not uh, when they're already ventilated. Ivermectin is another one that has actually some bona fides that's mm-hmm. actually for parasites and river blindness. Wow. Uh, but it, it's interesting how these drugs may have um, ancillary effects against COVID. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. They, we should be more open about using these things. Absolutely. And, you know, as a physician, if I was in the intensive care unit, I would just bring it on, mm-hmm. you know, just, and, and it's unfortunate that there are restrictions on what doctors can prescribe. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, these are restrictions imposed by bureaucrats rather than doctors on the front line. Yeah, which is wrong. And there's actually a, you know, I don't know the details, but there's a there's a, a wealthy guy who's got a, a, a foundation and he has uh, funded an initiative to get fluoxamine mainstreamed as part of the overall treatment for COVID. Right, right. See, I, I think... It I, shouldn't have to come to that. It, it's kind of ridiculous. I think what they're... They're waiting for like this super targeted medication that's the perfect. But in the meantime, there are no side effects that are going to kill the man. But COVID could kill the man, given the circumstances at this point. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, at this point, it may be less efficacious for someone who's intubated and has had a heart attack. I mean, that guy's like on a slippery slope. Yeah. So you can't say necessarily that it's going to pull a rabbit out of a hat. Um, So um, yeah. Hope, wishing your brother-in-law the best of help, health as he come help too. I think that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> like get better help. Yeah, <laughs> get better help, and find your way back to health. Hope, thank you. You know, on another front, I just mentioned. Um, yeah, there's uh, an interesting new angle on COVID, which is via nasal spray. And this has actually been proposed quite a lot. There are different nasal sprays. I mean, we even had some evidence that the clear nasal spray has some antiviral effects. Uh, but this mm. one is r- amazing because it's headline from the uh, Sun, which is a UK paper. This is a tabloid paper, so it's a little sensationalistic. Yeah. But it says a COVID-busting nasal spray has been proven to kill 99% of the virus. Well... Uh, and they're doing clinical trials. It's a, it's, and they're uh, asking for emergency use authorization for Canada and the UK. Uh, developed by a Canadian company, and it's a nitric oxide spray. Huh. Nitric oxide seems to be very effective. So the the whole idea is that if once you catch COVID, it kind of hangs out in your nasal passages. Yes. And if you can take care of it there before it disseminates to the rest of your body, mm-hmm. uh, then. It, it's almost like there's two two COVIDs. There's COVID like a cold or yes. a flu. And then there's COVID. A regular coronavirus. There's a COVID that attacks all your organs and gives you blood clots and makes your kidneys fail and gives you uh, strokes and heart attacks and yeah. neurological damage. Yeah. But if, if in the first phase you can treat it, and it's interesting, uh, you know, there, and I looked it up and there's, there's some bona fides to this. They're, they're actually looking, going the, the conventional approval path to see if this can work. 
Another one, and I discussed this with uh, Dr. Galland, is uh, heparin, for mm. the nasal heparin. Yes. There's some other uh, things like uh, uh, gargling uh, and using a nasal wash with povidine, iodine. Uh-huh. You know, you know, when you okay. skinned your knee when you were a kid, you know, yes. they, they was like, ouch, what are you putting on my knee? It's like Chrome. torture. Like yeah. I used to dread that. But it was, you know, they would paint, you know, yes. because it's pretty, pretty microcidal. Yes. And, you know, pretty, I was thinking it's bacteria, but it seems to have some antiviral effects. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, um, you know, this kind of harkened back to uh, Trump's uh, <laughs> statement, like, well, maybe we should try disinfectants, <laughs> you know. And in effect, you know, yes. they're disinfecting the nasal passages before the virus proliferates is, might be a viable strategy. That's interesting. Yeah. Finding out more and more all the time. That's yeah, I mean, yeah. but, you know, these are unfortunately going to be superseded, I think, by very uh, expensive, high-tech, uh, targeted antivirals. Yeah. Uh, which, great, you know, let, we need an all of the approach. And the vaccines. But, right, and yeah. the vaccines, of course. Right, right. So, all right. We have an email from Anne. Give us a preview because we're ah. we're going to go to... Uh, pause because we divide our podcast in two parts, but tell us what we're going to start with in part two. So I was told I can't take turmeric, but the doctor said it's okay to take curcumin. <laughs> what? What? Uh, okay, a little uh, gap in uh, <laughs> nutritional knowledge there. Yes. Okay. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, today with Layla Muden. Uh, it's our weekly Q&A with Layla. Radio program at AOL.com is the destination for questions. I'm delighted that questions are coming to us yes. in such a profusion. Yeah. We have quite a few in the mailbox. Right. We'll be right back. 